Hi, friends. Welcome back to Nate Talks to His Friends About Jesus. I hope you're doing well. Thanks for hanging out with me. Hey, if it's good to hang out, please share this with somebody. Find a way to spread this message. Anyways, last time when we left off, Paul was admonishing his friends in Corinth to turn right to go left. In other words, he was encouraging them to lean into uncomfortable things. And one of the ways we can do this is to practice love or or as we've said in another place, to practice agape. Regardless of the situation, I love the image of practicing rather than just being. It's something that we can all just practice. We can practice. Anyways, you remember that to practice love or to practice agape, you simply take a sincere interest in people and build them up. And sometimes that takes you out of your comfort zone. Well, Paul here in 2 Corinthians transitions to say, okay, Here's one way that you can take a genuine interest in others and to build them up. There's a famine in Jerusalem and we are gathering funds to help the saints there to take care of themselves. He says, I've been boasting about how generous you are to everybody in Macedonia, telling them since last year how uh, you in the state of Achaia, I don't know how to say that right, were ready to give and your enthusiasm had stirred them to action. And in the midst of a very severe trial, their overfilling joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. So I am hoping my boasting about you in this matter should not prove hollow. The gift is acceptable to what one has, not according to what one does not have. Our desire is not that others might be relieved while you are hard-pressed, but there, that, that there might be equality. And so he is inviting them here in Corinth to give generously to alleviate some of the suffering going on with the saints in Jerusalem. Uh, so let's talk about this idea of giving in the context of what Paul is saying about turning right to go left. Yes, it's good to be generous, but this is part of a bigger part of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's part of what I would call the upside down worldview of the gospel. It's part of this counterintuitive counter steering that the gospel brings into our lives, part of this paradox. And I think it's very powerful once you sense it. See, the normal, natural, instinctual, biological way to look at the world is to say there is only so many resources in this world. Therefore, I need to accumulate and hoard resources for myself so I can be comfortable. But what Paul is inviting them to do and what God does, what Jesus models is something radically different. Paul says, you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that, through, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor so that through his poverty you might become rich. Becoming poor to be rich, it's a bit of a metaphor, but it's also very literal here. In our language today, we might call it the difference between an abundance mindset and a scarcity mindset. No, don't worry, I'm not trying to sell you anything, but I do want you to try on this idea for size that Paul is getting at. Our natural man, our fallen nature, says that there is never enough. But our spiritual nature knows that with God, there is never lack. God created everything and he has no problem with us enjoying it all. So one aspect of faith is trusting God's abundance is real. 
trusting that there is sufficient. Here's how Paul puts it. He says, remember this, whosoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whosoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give. Not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves the cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Now, he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge your harvest. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. I love the imagery that Paul is putting to us here. He says, if you plant a small garden, you'll get a small harvest. If you plant a big garden, you get a big harvest. He is saying, use your life energy, your resources, your talents, and go out there and plant generously with all of this money, time, talents, interest, building, whatever. Okay, But the problem is we don't see the use of our time, energy, or money as planting seeds. We see it as sacrifice, especially Latter-day Saints. We love to fetishize pain and sacrifice. See our celebration of Martin Willie Handcart companies. When we frame our lives as suffering and sacrifice, it makes everything seem smaller sometimes. Now, not always, but I would, I would really caution you to, comp, uh, to, how do you say, to be conscious about this a little bit. Instead of framing the story in pain, frame it in seeds and planting in generosity. Paul wants us to think this way. He says, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. God has given us indescribable gifts and the more we give, the more life flourishes. It's upside down. It's counterintuitive. It's counter-steering. I go, I go right to go left. But the thing is, you can never get to this space of trying it out. You'll never know what it feels like to drift like Lightning McQueen unless you try it. This counterintuitive message of faith is something you have to feel your way into to know that it's real. But I want you to try it out. Be generous with your life energy in all its aspects, time, talents, money, whatever. Be generous with your life energy and watch what happens. Faith is abundance. God is abundance. Sometimes for me, I feel like the things that I am asked to do as a father or as a member of this church limit my life. But as I've relaxed into these services, instead of resisting them, I found that my life is richer and more connected. Giving of myself doesn't diminish me. 
when I lean into it as a father or as a disciple, I actually feel invigorated. Now, don't get me wrong. I have resisted. And let me tell you, I feel exhausted and resentful. The outcome really does depend on your mental or your emotional or even we would say your spiritual stance you take when you uh, go forth and you give. If we start with from this idea of trusting God and and trusting Him, it comes about this plentiful abundance. But When we start from the natural man where things are limited, it just gets more limited. Jesus teaches this when He says, whosoever has more shall be given in this parable of the talents, right? This is that sort of idea. And it stems from the faithful stance we have here. Now, this is not the only upside down thing Paul points out in his letter. The other upside down idea he points out here, and this is something that we got into last time, but he says that pain is actually the doorway to joy. Now, when you hear that instantly, your internals go, that's nonsense. Pain is the doorway to joy. Shut your mouth. That's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. Because we are programmed and it's natural man, it's in our genetic program and it helps us to survive, but we resist anything uncomfortable. We avoid physical pain, we avoid emotional discomfort, we avoid hard conversations, we avoid sadness, we resist it all. If you aren't feeling it, (laughs) uh, you metaphorically run away and hide. But Paul is saying, no, you are seeing this all wrong. You're getting tricked by the father of lies in your natural man programming, your biology. Turn, <laughs> turn right to go left. Jesus was crucified, Paul says, in weakness, yet he lives by God's power. This is key here. If you want to grow, if you want to be happy, if you want to have a rich, meaningful connections in your life, Stop running from pain. Stop. Instead, embrace whatever is uncomfortable to you and watch how God will purify you by fire. And shockingly, it won't be what you expect. Paul's like, I've been there in this. I'm more. I've worked much harder been imprisoned more frequently, been flogged more severely, been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and day and a night in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, endangered from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, in danger from false believers. I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger. I have known thirst. I have gone without food. I have been cold. I have been naked. Besides everything else, I face daily pressure. I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. Who is weak? And I do not feel weak. Who is led into sin? And I do not inwardly burn. I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. 
but God didn't. Instead, in the midst of all of this, Paul says, I was caught up to the third heaven. And while there in the third heaven, God tells him this. He says, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. The upside down gospel, the right to go left gospel is saying that my power, God's power is made perfect in your weakness. Stop running from pain. Stop fighting discomfort. Instead, take the upside down path, the gospel path. Face it and accept it. Trust that Christ was crucified in weakness, yet lives by God's power. Trust that he has already saved you and pass through the trial you are asked to pass through. Pass through this pain or this weakness. Let it pass through you trusting. Let God sustain you in this moment and be reborn. Now at times it will be something big. And at times it will be something that doesn't look as big from the outside, but is still pretty big. Consider Elder Carlos Godoy's story. He says, I was not looking for gospel or or church at all in my life. I was 16 years old, and a friend of my older brother came to my home to invite our younger sisters to a church activity. He didn't invite me or my brother because he thought that we weren't church material. But we went, and when we got there, they were, were playing a really simple activity and they were so engaged in that play and laughing. Uh, I was like, they're so happy. Why are they so happy? So two days later, I was receiving the discussions in the chapel because my family was not really interested to have that. I was happy with the gospel. I knew it was true enough to be willing to be baptized even without my parents. But once I was baptized, it was hard to fit in. I was without friends. And so I was there for a while in the back of the chapel, watching, listening, and going home. You can do this for a while. But if you don't have friends, even if you know it's true, it's hard. Especially if you have friends outside calling you back. I went to church one Sunday, kind of like a, I'll give it one more time. And they were doing applications and I asked, what is this? It's a youth conference, you should go. I said, okay, I'll try it. And so we were there and all these youths playing, singing and dancing and suddenly a voice in the speaker saying, let's offer the first prayer. And all those noisy people, suddenly they were reverent. And for me, it was like, what is happening here? How's this group of noisy youth, how can they be so noisy in the next second so reverent because of a prayer? Wow, they're different. I want to be like them. For me, it was the Lord again sending a message, Carlos, don't give up. This is your place. Let me interject here. Can you hear him saying it to you? 
And one day I was walking around and one girl was playing a flute there by herself. And when I saw the girl, I said, wow, (laughs) my heart started to beat faster. And I thought, I want to talk to her. She was so natural and friendly. And she started to talk with me like I was a normal person. And she became my friend, my only friend. But through her, I was able to meet other friends. And so after the youth conference, I decided to keep going to church. But my family moved to another part of the city. So I went to a chapel that was near my new home. And guess who was there? Monica. That was her award. And she was the girl that was playing the flute. She was my friend. As I went that first Sunday at the end of the meeting, a sister I didn't know came up to me and said, are you a member of the church? And I was used to that question. I said, yeah, of course I am. And she's, she said, well, you should come to seminary. And I was like, coming from a Catholic background, seminary was where you could become a, a priest in the church. And I was like, no, I don't think seminary is for me. I want to get married. I want to have kids. And she's like, no, seminary is for the youth. It's where you come to learn the gospel. And we don't have many youth in our word. It's just actually Adriano River, Rivera, Carlos Mancini, and Monica Brando. <laughs> and I thought, wow, well, I don't know what seminary is, but I want to be there. Uh, Every morning I was there receiving the good word of God and that gave me understanding of who I was and the strength to keep fighting and to keep my conversion process going. And in this time I was assigned to a home teacher companion to the young men's president. And even though I didn't know much about the gospel, he gave me assignments to teach. He trusted me. I think he trusted me more than I trusted myself. There's something else interesting. He was the father of Monica. (laughs) That Monica, she was, she was there to help me. She became my wife after we both served missions. We got married in the temple and she's now the mother of four kids and seven grandkids and still is an angel in my life. If you look around, I have no doubt that you're going to be able to find those in need of an angel's help. The Lord needs you. So when you see yourself in the mirror, don't forget inside of you there's a beautiful spirit, a, a son and daughter of Heavenly Father with all those attributes and potentials inside of you. That's the end of his story. You don't know what God has in store for you. But you don't get there through normal ways. You got to lean into discomfort and you got to trust. Your normal course of life is going to give you plenty of opportunities to lean in, to turn right, to go left. But know that Christ was crucified in weakness, yet he lives by God's power. And know that he says to you individually, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen.